0: I'm Heidi Zuckerman. I've spent my life connecting people to art to make their lives better. This podcast talks about art in contemporary culture and why we should care. Each episode is an impactful conversation with people I find interesting and think you will too about their life, values, and always about why they think art matters. This is Conversations About Art. Hey everyone, I was introduced to Tenjiwe Niki's work on Alvan art. I was looking at the platform for the first time scrolling through their Instagram, which by the way has 2.2 million followers, and was super captivated by these paintings of black gymnasts. And I wanted to know who the artist was. I, looked up everything I could find about her, and I asked Kristen Luten for an introduction to Tenjiwe. We had a conversation which started at 7 a.m. in Johannesburg and 10 p.m. in Colorado. And I was so thrilled to have the privilege to stay up late, to end my day with these thoughts and insights from her. I know you're going to enjoy it in just a second. I don't know about you, but I get most of my things done in the spaces between doing everything else. And I gravitate towards the things I can handle from an app on my phone. Kelly Clee, Private Client Insurance believes that people with more to lose need better protection for what they cherish. I have insured not only my cars and homes with them, but also my personal art collection. They have an incredibly well-designed app that's not only aesthetic, but the user interface is superb. I can see each work in my collection and its currently insured value, as well as seamlessly and easily, literally from my phone, add new things as they're acquired. Insurance to me sounds like kind of a boring thing to talk about, but particularly in these uncertain times, I sleep way better at night knowing that the things I love are protected. So check out their website, kellycleecom backslash Heidi. That's K-E-L-L-Y-K-L-E-E.com backslash Heidi, and they will make a $50 donation to Artadia, an art charity I've recommended, for each qualified referral. These details are included in the show notes. Is there a piece of jewelry you would like to create? I'm excited to tell you about Best & Co., which offers a smarter way to acquire luxury jewelry. I wanted to create signet rings for each member of my family. Best & Co worked with me to create a custom design and fabricate the rings. We all love them. The rings are a daily and physical reminder of our connection, even when we're not together. Whether you want to reuse sentimental stones from a family heirloom, or create a piece that you've been dreaming about, Best & Co can help you create it and their effective and efficient business model allows them to provide significant savings to their clients. Clients regularly save as much as 30% and frequently more when compared with purchasing comparable high quality pieces from traditional luxury jewelry retailers. So check out their website www.bestandcoaspen.com and use discount code Heidi2020 to receive 5% off of any item on Best & Co's website. I was just looking at it today and honestly, there are a ton of things that I would like to use that discount code for. Also, if you're interested in creating a custom piece, you can email custom at bestandcoaspen.com That's B-E-S-T-A-N-D-C-O ASPEN.com and mention that you heard about Best & Co on my podcast to receive the special discount. Tenjiwe Nikki Nunkosi is a South African-American painter and multimedia artist. Her work investigates power and its structures, political, social, architectural. Implicit in her examination of these structures is an interrogation of the invisible forces that create them and an imagining of alternatives. She sees her subject choices as monuments to ideologies, referring to her architecture painting as portraits and her human portraits as figures. She and I discuss the practice of being a parent, making things, going back places, the narrative of the return home, the faces on money, the struggle for freedom, doing work that matters who gets celebrated and why, remembering people aloud, gymnastics and exactness, different definitions of blackness, the tender space of art, the risk of creating art, behavior, movement, and allowing ourselves to be an evolving being. I was doing a little bit of reading about you and it's interesting because when I know an artist's work before I know the artist, I, I come from a really visual perspective and because we haven't met and we're doing the conversation, I just wanted to do a little more research and one of the things that I was also looking for is, is how your work is described and I came across an announcement of something that you did in London and it emphasized the fact that you talk about a diversity of your practice and in, it included mothering a young child and i wondered if that was a choice that you asked them to put in the description
1: or if that was something that they had done on their own well probably i'm thinking about when that was and it was probably when i was a yeah a very new mom i think it was 2018 uh, yeah So she was, she was quite small still. And yeah, I think that she, I mean, she was born into (laughs) the studio, you know, and being present for her had a lot of parallels for me to being present for myself and my own practice and being present to my work and questions in my work. So it felt, I think it just felt like part of the many practices at the, at the time. And and the same kind of attention to the needs and wants. I mean, of course, more intense, and there was a lot of new feelings around love. And I mean, these—it was—it was a totally new experience. But but definitely a, a practice of becoming a, a parent, right? I mean, you—you you don't know what you're doing in the beginning with these people, and not just practically, but in how you relate to them, and how you—you know—you want to—you want to do something fresh. You don't want to just repeat what you were brought up with. So it felt like I was entering into a new intellectual, emotional um, space. I love the
0: idea of parenting as a practice. I got Mm. introduced to the idea of sort of a life practice or an art practice or curatorial practice through a woman named Jackie Boss, who was my boss at the Berkeley Art Museum and I'd never really thought about any of those things as a practice before but I've never thought of parenting as a practice in terms of that nomenclature until you just said that but of course it's about showing up every day and doing your best.
1: (laughs) Yeah and and for me I think I had a friend once who wasn't an artist and I mean, he was a, he was a poet and a scientist, um, is a poet and a scientist. And he once said to me, he said, you do a lot of research in your work. I didn't know artists did so much, so much research. And it was sort of funny to me because that's what you learn when you 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 go to art school, you learn how to research. Um, Yes. But I, but that same, that, that I applied what I know about researching a subject or yeah, just a history of something or you know the new research around um in a field you know I, I applied those same practices to being a parent. You know I did a I did a lot of reading and I mean I, I'm sure people would find that completely annoying. Um, <laughs> but I also, you know, like sort of not just going with your gut or, you know, but but for me, I just I wanted a variety of approaches to inform the way I was going to, you know, approach, you know, this word parenting is weird, but just being, being there for this person, this tiny, tiny person. When I was
0: pregnant the first time, my former husband introduced this Bradley method. I don't know if you know it. It's a, Mm -mm. like all, it's an all natural form of childbirth. And when Mm -hmm. I first heard about it, I was so against it. I thought it seemed like super like anti-woman and like totally non-feminist. And it was basically like a husband coach childbirth method. And it just offended like everything about me. (laughs) And then, you know, when I learned more about it past like the language of it, there were Mm -hmm. things about it that were great, which included like why one might choose to try to have a a natural childbirth. But I also did a lot of research and there was a mix, I think, of intuition or the continuum of knowledge of women and, Mm. yeah, caring for another person, right? And kind of connecting to that sort of ancestral knowledge. But then also, yeah, how things are are named um, can make them seemingly like unpalatable but they can be good you know
1: yeah Yeah. and they can they can be entry points into different different ways of thinking than you than you know you know like I mean that's that's what's amazing about researching things anything you know is that you just you expose yourself to yes what you want and what you don't want but even within what you don't want there, like you're saying there, there might be ideas that there, that, that spark off other ways of doing things that, you know, that you're, that you're, your own knowledge building, you know, might benefit from, from even, from even that, which you don't want.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> That's a good way to figure out what we do want is also by what we don't want. Mm. I like that you did your undergraduate degree at Harvard mm-hmm.
1: and did you study art there? I did I mean it was you know I don't know what things are like so much now, but we had this core curriculum thing in place, so you you've, you you had to take biology and maths and you know literature and you know, you had to sort of expose yourself to many different fields. Um, and then you took a certain, you know, portion of, of classes in your chosen direction, you know, your, your, your concentration, they called it, I think like your major. And so I was a joint African studies and visual and environmental studies concentrator, which was the art program. Mm. And I mean, I had no idea what it, what being an artist really meant. Um, when I, you know, I sort of declared my concentration at the end of the first year, I just knew that I wanted to make things and um, I was glad to have the chance to study these other things that I was interested in. But I, yeah, I, I at, at, by my second year, I sort of had this idea of, okay, well, you know, I'll just keep keep making things, but I don't, I, I, I really hadn't even considered what it really would mean to be an artist outside of, you know, my education. <laughs> I knew which classes I was going to take, but I had no idea what, what, um, you know, after, after university, what things would look like.
0: Were your parents supportive of the idea of you being an artist?
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they both, I don't know if there was this idea that I would be an artist I think they they were just so excited that I was going to Harvard (laughs) they were just (laughs) they were so thrilled I mean I had been in the U.S. the year before I'd also applied to Vassar and I I went to go visit Vassar and I just thought this is the place for me this is (laughs) well you know this is I had a friend who was there and I went to visit her and stayed over and just thought this was fantastic this was going to nurture me in the way that I, I'd gone to um, a Waldorf school oh, here in South Africa, and I um, I just felt like that was going to be the smoothest transition and um, into university, and then sort of went to visit Harvard as well, and thought, oh, this is terrible. This is, <laughs> this, is <laughs> this is diametrically opposed to everything that I want out of my um, yeah university. Years, But, um, you know, my parents were just like, what are you talking about? And when I said I was, you know, studying art and African studies, they were just fine with it. And I think both of them had never had this, you know, they didn't have the space to sort of express themselves artistically, though both of them, um, I think, are very creative people. I think that they were just happy that I could, you know, have that opportunity
0: So you were born in the U.S. and then, I don't know if you were raised in South Africa. I'm not sure exactly how old you were when you went back or or went to live there, not necessarily back. Uh, No, yeah. And then you came back actually to the United States. What was it like to, I don't know, maybe this is kind of a dumb question, but I'm just wondering about studying African studies in the U.S. Mm. having lived in Africa?
1: <laughs> I think that's that is really not a dumb question in fact okay. um, it raises very particular examples of strange experiences that I had so I just wanted to address one thing that you said when you said I, you know I went back and for me it's you know it's always been this question of did did we go back or did we, did I go, you know, did I go to South Africa? And that was, I mean, the language in my house was that we were going to go back one day. You know, my dad was in exile for 30 years and 31 years in in the United States and my mom, you know, from South Africa. And my mom was um, very much, even though she was born in the United States, her parents were also immigrants and, and refugees and, there was this very strong narrative around the return home for both of them. And, you know, her, her home, you know, didn't exist anymore really. And, you know, her ancestral home and his did, but he couldn't go back. And so this, that language was really strong in my house. So I, I, you know, I would even say, Oh, we went back to South Africa, even though I was born in New York city and, you know, (laughs) had never been, been there, you know? And, and so we, you know, I, I left at not age nine to move to Southern Africa. So we moved to Zimbabwe and then to South Africa when I was almost um, 12. And, um, you know, so I spent all this time very, I think, I mean, all your childhood years are formative, but I think coming into sort of consciousness about the world and um, cultures and, um Yeah, I I think being, what is like sort of also being acculturated, you know, being being of a certain culture, I think, or cultures here, it was the decision to study African studies in the U.S., sure. I mean, there were a lot of African professors at Harvard at the time there, you know, it was not necessarily um, strange, but it was... And there were a lot of African students, almost, you know, in all of my African studies classes, there were kids who were also from Africa taking these classes. But of course, it was, it was at a remove. And for me, I found a way of linking the theoretical work that I was doing to, to my experience by coming home. So I came home every summer and usually with a project, actually always with a project in mind or at work. So that I could link, you know, link what I was doing to an actual place. But if, but yeah, but of course there were also, you know, there were people who had done a lot of um, American professors who had done field work in Africa and who really didn't really have the experience to be talking about what they were talking about. You know, and right. would mispronounce names of places and have certain positions about um, historical events that you know, we're very Americanized, but, but I guess there was an awareness for me and, um, and the other African students. And I would, you know, we would talk about where this professor was off and where they were missing things. And we'd bring it up in our sections and discussion. So in a way it was good to, it was, a it was, I remember reading the book, um, Kinship, I think it's called Kinship, uh, by Philippe Wamba, who was a Harvard student, um, some years before I was there, he was from uh, Kenya, and he had actually he had died in a car accident in his twenties. I later found out he was he was engaged to a friend of mine here, or someone that you know was connected to my circle here. And anyways, and he had wrote he'd written this book about being a, a black student at Harvard and and but also an African student there. And his experience about it, not only at Harvard, but in the United States of trying to bring these two identities of, you know, being black in America and being also African together. And that book really, I remember reading it in my freshman dorm and it really affected me. And, um, yeah, it just resonated with me. And there's so many Such
0: diverse cultures in Africa too. So the idea of everything kind of under the single word of the continent rather than Mm. how things are maybe more specific and Mm. diverse is something that has always sort of struck me too.
1: Oh yeah well (laughs) there's a there's a publication called Africa is a Country that you know, sort of plays on this idea of Africa not being a country, <laughs> yeah. and and the ways in which um, we are. I mean, it's sort of pan-African. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a very rich idea. It kind of is a great segue
0: into the human portraits that you do, which you refer to, I think, as figures instead of portraits, and this idea of heroicism and who we should know and who we do know and how people are known and Mm. I wondered if you could talk about that project which has been ongoing
1: yeah I mean I think I mean I often talk about that project I mean the idea for the project was sort of born out of this um, moment in my studio, sort of looking through my wallet and just um, noticing that all of my, the the, the new bills had come out um, at that point and they all had Nelson Mandela's face on them. And I was just looking at them and thinking, why, why do we only have <laughs> you know, one face on, on all these different bills? Why Why are we commemorating this one person? But it sort of, goes back to early experiences, I think, particularly with my father, you know, talking about knowing his participation in the struggle, knowing about all the, the different people that he worked with and knowing these different names, you know, that were not, not being celebrated so much in the sort of popular narrative of South Africa's, you know, transition to freedom, and the struggle, you know, and knowing, you know, I guess on some level, if I think about it now, like, you know, thinking of my own parents as, as heroes, you know, and and knowing that their work really mattered. And, and so, yeah, so there was this, there was this question around, you know, who, who gets celebrated and memorialized um, and why, and where, what happens to, what happens to these other figures and how is history then constructed without, you know, with these huge omissions, you know, what happens? And, um, and at that point, you know, I was some years out of high school, but I mean, they were still really figuring out how to talk about apartheid and the struggle for freedom and the transition to democracy. They were still trying to find the, the language and the, the story, you know, I had a friend who was doing research into how uh, his, South African history is taught in schools. And, and it was just really shocking to hear, you know, her sort of anecdotal reports of people, you know, kids not, first of all, not really identifying at all with a very recent history. And then just, just the, yeah, the omissions were, were a little bit frightening. So the the project was born out of this desire to to educate myself and to start you know remembering people aloud you know and in, in public. And at that point, you know, my my career was still very new, and I didn't have any gallery representation, and I hadn't really had you know so real visibility. Um, the internet was also working in different ways back in mm-hmm. twenty ten. Um, you know social media so anyways but I just I felt like this I wanted to make a gesture for myself and for yeah maybe 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 one day this yeah for for a public you know maybe someday you know a bunch of eyes might be on this work thinking about these people Mm. and the people just would range from the the really well-known to the un known to the to the never known you know to the i mean there hasn't been anyone really in, that i've you know imagined yet you know like like someone who didn't once exist but you know friends that i've wanted to celebrate and grandparents that i never met and yeah and other other public figures that might you know, make us question who who is who is a hero and who is not and why, why are. You know, it's been so interesting to watch. I painted a portrait of, of Winnie Mandela and she, at that time, was the, the, uh, the film Winnie hadn't come out yet and um, there wasn't quite yet this public celebration of her, particularly by um, black women and young black women Although there were a lot of people who loved her, and there was, you know, especially in sort of the white consciousness in South Africa, she was she was still she was not seen as a as a hero at all. Um, So it's been interesting to also watch how over the years that the the responses to that portrait have changed. I mean, I was going to ask you.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask you if some of the people who you've painted exactly that like if they're if they're the way they're known in the broader consciousness has evolved and and what that's like
1: yeah I mean I painted a yes so that so exactly I mean that Winnie Mandela portrait definitely went through this evolution and has become one that you know people sort of write to me about and want to talk about and you know in, in the beginning it was sort of you know, this quiet nod between people who were like, yeah, I'm glad Winnie's there, you know, and, right. <laughs> and now people really want to talk about her and celebrate her. And even, you know, if I think about, um, I painted my art sister, Pamela Tatsimo Sundstrom, I painted her a portrait and her face. And she, it's just interesting to think about her. And, and, you know, when I painted her, we were sort of more or less in a similar space or, or yeah, just at a similar level of visibility and, and she's become much, much more visible in the last, you know, few years since I painted her and, and that painting becomes a a more sought after or, (laughs) you know, um, visible painting. Yeah. I mean, her, her identity becomes, you know, yeah, has changed and they become, I don't know, more important in a certain way. So I first noticed your work, I guess uh, the gymnastics
0: series caught my eye. And it's because I have a personal relationship, I think, with the sport mm. and the way that you captured the gymnasts and the spaces in which gymnastics occurs, particularly the floor <laughs> for the floor routine. And mm. I was curious how how you were drawn to these images and, and, and the sport.
1: Can I ask what your relationship is with it? (laughs)
0: Yeah. I mean, that was my, I mean, I'm an athlete. I've been Mm. an athlete, you know, my whole life and Mm. have gone through different sports, but that's one of the ways that I identify. I identify really as a scholar athlete. And that was something that I always talked to my kids about too, like the balance of mind and body. Mm. But my high school sport, I played college sports too, but not, not gymnastics, but my high school sport was gymnastics. And so I spent, I mean, hours, (laughs) uh, Mm. I mean, countless hours, like in those spaces and, and using that equipment and thinking about the body in space and looking, being looked at. And it's still one of my favorite sports. And mm. I just felt like there were things about the way that you captured the female body in that space. And of course there's men's gymnastics too, but I'm just not as interested in that. Uh, mm. But what you've captured and, and the lines and um, the geometry of the placement and like the exactness of how you have to be aware in your body in space in gymnastics is just different than other sports, um, because like, um, like a millimeter to be off, you know, like when you're doing (laughs) a flip on the beam, you know, or, you know, hitting your hip on like the bar, um, when you're like coming in for a wrap, I mean, like the pain that just those kind of minute misses can cause. Uh, so Mm. anyway, I feel that in your, in that series.
1: I'm so glad you told me that. I guess the, I guess my, yeah, it, when I talk to people who are athletes or who are gymnasts in particular, I guess my, my way of approaching the, that answer mm. changes a little bit. I mean, I, I also have always been interested in, in movement of different kinds. And I mean, I sort of shy away from calling myself an athlete, but, um, i Maybe I'll give myself that. I've been always very athletic. I always played sport <laughs> sort of nearby the athletes. Um, always played sports, and really, I guess my my sport in high school was um, Wing Chun Kung Fu. That was really. I mean, I didn't think of it as a sport, or I mean, I thought of it as a life style or a life path, actually was really central to my life into, from my teens into my twenties and yeah. And a similar, a similar sort of consciousness about your one's body in space in relation to particularly the other, other bodies, but, but also the it sort of it being exact without the lines being drawn exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that, I mean, particularly, I'm I'm referring to you know when you're doing your you're doing your forms and you're 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 balancing your striking into the air, but I mean, you there there's an exactness there that needs to be performed. So, and then you know th- just throughout my life, I've I've loved to to move and to play with movement, and so that really I haven't found a um, a way to integrate the two that I mean the closest I've come to is is this series this um gymnasium series is is where those two interests you know my my art my interest in making things and my interest in moving movement um have sort of come together and um that's something that I that I really want to explore in other ways in my practice but um so that's where it I, I would say that it without um, without even realizing it. That's where I started researching um, the sport, and you know, sort of landed on these images. And I was sort of I was actually I was looking at sports more generally at the time that I painted the first painting in that series, and I was thinking about. You know thinking about the lines and boundaries and you know playing you know the the body moving in these fluid ways in these very rigid boundaries and then these you know parameters and I was looking at tennis too and I played around with some videos in uh video work with tennis players on on the court uh, but then found this image of of a of a gymnast having you know just uh begun their routine and saluting the judges and I just, it's just something you know whole, everything came together at once you know sort of my interest in in the idea of like a of a star or you know this this hero figure or this yeah the eyes on this particular figure the, the, the gaze of the judges being judged being judged oh, there was there was just so many different it was the meeting point of of a whole yeah, a host of things that I was interested in, and I think, and I, and I, so I mean, I, I rarely talk about the martial arts sort of history, but that that also was informing. Yeah, I saw a lot of parallels between the movements. I mean, of course, there's 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 acrobatics and there's there's similar things that happen in gymnastics that that happen in martial arts. I think they I think they have very sort of similar roots in in a in a way. How I usually describe then. What happened is that I, you know, there was this formal interest in the work, and it was, and it was actually the sort of also the convergence of my interest in architectures and in figures, and um, so you know, when I was saying earlier that it was, it just this all my interests sort of came together at this one moment. If it, it, and then it became this wonderful metaphor for my own experiences in building an art career and being in the art world more and more. So it just, it became, it became this um, just perfect space to explore many things that I'm interested in.
0: All of the gymnasts and all of the spectators and the judges in the different paintings are all people of color, right? They're all, they're all Mm. black figures. And I wonder if you were working from images that the participants were all black as well, or if that was a choice that you made. (laughs)
1: Yes, definitely not. Um. Okay. (laughs) That's what I figured, but I don't like to ever make any assumptions. No, no, no. (laughs) I try not
0: to, I'm sure I do, but I try not to. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I was one of the best, I don't know if it was the best reaction, but it was just, um, it just brought me joy to have someone, um, you know, walk up to the one of the works and they, and they they were like, oh, I love this. And I just love it that the judges are black too. And <laughs> she was, she was a black woman and it was just, yeah, I just, I, I, I don't know what she particularly loved about that, but I loved that She loved it. And, um, and then it gave her, It's,
0: it's striking, it's striking. It's one of the things I noticed too.
1: Yeah. I mean, so to answer the first part of your question, I mean, no, I mean all the images and that was part of the reason why I decided to create this world of black people. And I mean, yeah, the word, the word black for me, you know, we, we can talk about like different definitions of blackness, you know, and, 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 um, political definitions of blackness, like who, who is black and who is not. But, um, for me, this is, you know, it's a, there's a pan blackness that I'm, that I'm referring to, you know? Um, so, I mean, people of color is not really a term that we use here in South Africa. And we also have there's that's a big, big, bigger conversation and a longer conversation around who is black and who identifies as black. And, but, um, yeah, I wanted to create this black world and um and uh, the images that I was finding were mostly especially at that time I mean it's, it's really when I look at some of the reference images that I was filing away and build you know just building up a a, a folder of images from the, from then the, the quality is so so bad and there's you know there's just there wasn't the same amount of yeah imagery on the internet um at the time but uh there were there were there were very few images of black gymnasts and the first two paintings i did i definitely you know reimagined everybody um in shades of brown um and um and then you know as i picked up the project again in i think it was late 2018 uh of course the gym gym, the world of gymnastics had, had changed. I mean, we had, you know, so many stars. I mean, I don't want to point any, of course, Simone Biles and Gabby Douglas. Yes. And then, yes every, you know, there was, there were just so many more very visible black gymnasts, um, yeah. and very, very talented and, um, celebrated. And so what I was painting was not so, um, didn't have to be imagined too, too, too much, you know. Um, But, but of course the, the judges and the world of gymnastics is still, is still uh, very white. I mean, and, um, and so, so there was a very conscious decision to, to make everybody, yeah, black.
0: Thank you so much for articulating all of this and creating a a space to be able to have conversations like this. I mean, you could hear as I was trying to even frame the question, how to to do it in a way that at uh, least acknowledges or saves space for the complexity of, of all of these words around the topics. And, mm. and that's part of, I guess, what's so exciting for me in, in looking at this work is, is knowing that, I mean, I don't think that things happen by accident. I mean, I think that life is about serendipities and oftentimes people miss them because they're just not paying attention or they're not present Mm. or whatnot. (laughs) But I, I think that that's the way life works. It's conscious um, and intentional. And I knew without ever having talked to you that this would be, intentional and filled with all of these just I don't know hopeful possibilities I think is is really what I see in this series. Hmm. hmm.
1: Yeah thanks for for saying that. I mean you you said two things that I could sort of bring up things that I'm thinking about at the moment. I mean you you I'm not you me I <laughs> You make things, and you you hope that um, you hope that that the many things that you're trying to say are picked up in different ways by different people, I guess. And you know, it's hard to you know this this series has really garnered a lot of attention um, and different kinds of attention, you know. And I'm always curious to to know why it resonates with the people that it resonates with people from different countries and different backgrounds. And, you know, is it, is it in vogue in some way or are people, you know, is it just like, you know, part of a, of a series of works that, you know, people are particularly interested in right now, or is it, you know, are there things that just really capture people's emotions and, and imaginations and, Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, I feel really happy that people are responding to this work, uh, in the various ways that they are and just, just that they're responding, you know, that's, um, and I, and for me, it's, it's so interesting how social media has, has changed the level of access (laughs) that people have to art, you know, that really um, you know it doesn 't I, I never you know while wanting to be an artist eventually, after I left college and sort of met artists <laughs> and, you know like younger artists who were living this life in new york and and here in South Africa I, you know after deciding that I wanted to be an artist, I also decided that I wanted my work to not only exist in spaces that had limited access, especially here in in South Africa. It's so, I mean, people are really intimidated by the contemporary art world and Instagram has actually really changed that, you know, that, that I really, I have all sorts of different people commenting on my work. Um, You know, sometimes, sometimes negative, um, sometimes super positive. Um but people doing different kinds of things, people without any interest generally in contemporary art. So yeah, it's it's um I'm really uh I'm really grateful that that I've had this experience of different kinds of feedback and and interest.
0: You said there were two things that I mentioned that you have oh. been thinking about.
1: No, oh, I have to, I took myself on a little journey. Um, <laughs> there was something else that you said. that I wondered struck me. if it was oh, about, about serendipity or. Oh yeah. No. And about like, like that. Yeah. You, you, you may, I mean, I don't know if I was reading it right, but just about, you know, we put things into our work and then people read them and that sometimes they're, you know, sometimes they're conscious and sometimes they're unconscious, but they're all from a place of, wanting to articulate something mm-hmm. on some level. Is that is that mm-hmm. a little bit what you were yes. saying? And no, yeah, I think that's right. That whether, you know, you, you sometimes don't you sometimes might realize it later and, and yeah, and I think that that's you know that was, that is for me what makes art making art such a tender space. And what makes art criticism, you know, really a space that I think really needs to be um, Reexamined, I think that artists, yeah, it's, I think it's, I think you're, it's such a, it's such a risk to make, to make art, you know, on some, on some, I know, I know people take, you know, life risks, but I mean, for these, for our little tender, vulnerable psyches, I mean, it's quite something to put, to put out your ideas in the world and, and to have them be read and commented on and to, it's a, I'm just very aware of that right now, you know, um, of, of how emotionally psychologically risky it can be. And I think we rarely talk about that, you know, in terms of the, you know, how artists can take care of themselves. I mean, I know it's not the most, you know, pressing issue in the world right now, but I think within our, within our, our world, I mean, and industry, you know, because it is also an industry, I think, I think that's something that I'm, yeah, I'm just feeling that that needs to be explored by me (laughs) and my little community of artists is, is how to, how to take care also, because, because it's, you're, you're sharing, you're sharing some, at some, sometimes an unformed or still forming thoughts and ideas.
0: Yes. A thousand percent. And being willing to, show up in a space that's not totally resolved yet is that much Mm. more courageous but that's partially how that space can become known you know is trying right and Mm. awkwardly expressing an idea or a word or and knowing sometimes you get it wrong and I think Mm. what you're talking about is asking for a sense of or an expression of, of greater grace, you know, from the world that gets to see what it is, you know, maybe before it's, it's fully finished. Hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think maybe greater grace, but maybe we also need to learn how to, you know, I guess it's a lot to ask others, but just to be a little gentler on ourselves and to, um, and when I say gentle, I mean, if there's something that you've made that, that, gets a response that you know, is angry or sad or you know something that, a response that you don't that you didn't want to elicit in, in someone or in a group of people and maybe it's also it's okay to forgive yourself and 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 maybe try something else and be okay to be wrong for a moment you know to not not have to not have to stand by this thing that was still. <laughs> You know, I think it's also okay to, to say, you know, I made, yes, I made this and I I don't, uh, I wouldn't make it again. And, you know, I see, I see the ways in which I need to revise these ideas. Um, um, I'm reading a a book called White Walling. I don't know if you, if you know it, Aruna D'Souza, her book, which is about art and protest. And I'm just, yeah, it's on my, it's on my mind, um, you know, it's sort of, who 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 gets to say what and um, you know how art can also be very um, destructive, you know what people what people put out there can be really destructive and how we deal with that as a I mean if we are a community at all um or a, or a sector <laughs> I know these words um, something in between the two you know how how we how we deal with that and with deal with one another.
0: That's really, really interesting. That's again, not something that I have thought about in that way. Just because you make something doesn't mean you're responsible for it forever. I think that's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. Particularly because well, you make it from, from what you know at the, at the time, right but then maybe more information about the thing or about yourself becomes available. And then what you want to say
1: evolves. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. (laughs) That's the, that's the sort of danger of of making anything because, because you're not, you're not necessarily what you've made, you know, Um, and you're not that that statement might be light years away from where you are, you know, a year later, Um, only, you know, and, but I mean, the word responsibility is interesting because I think you, I think you are responsible for it, but you, you, (laughs) you, you maybe are, you can sort of put it down and say, okay, I don't want to do this again. I am responsible for this, but I don't want, I want to do something different. And I think this, this sort of analogy is like, I think that there's, there are analogies in just behaviors, right? I mean, the thing about art is that mm-hmm. you can, you know, your, be- your behavior might disappear and people forget or, you know, unless there's like sort of public records of them. <laughs> but it's, yeah. I think I, I'm just really learning this now in my, in, in my life as a whole. And I think my practice is helping teach me this, you know, in, as, as a way of being. And that's to be responsible But, you know, for, you know, remember the things that that, that I've done that that I'm not proud of or that I don't like or that I never want to do again, but to also allow myself to be an evolving being. That's the only, we have to, all of us allow ourselves that. You know, if you stick by that thing, if you stand your ground always in this like old person that you, were Or, you know, if you don't want to, I mean, that's, that's where we die, you know, that's on, on some kind of like interrelational level, like you, that's death. It's death to relation. Yeah. It's death to relationships. It's death to friendships. It's death to, to understanding other people. It's hmm. super fascinating. I've really
0: made peace with this idea of being Perfectly imperfect, but what you're talking about is somehow maybe something like being permanently
1: impermanent <laughs> mm. mm-hmm I think so. I think that's a thing that my child has also showed me i mean she's she's growing all the time and developing new neural pathways all the time and and in a way she's reminded me that I am too. My brain is still capable of change. It's not that I'm grown up and I'm finished <laughs> growing. It's a misnomer, actually, right? You've Grown up. You're done. Not done. Never done. Even when you die, it's something new, isn't it? Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I was reading an article this morning about neuroplasticity, which sounds really complicated, but really it's just about changing your brain through mindfulness Mm. but that notion which I really believe in and I've experienced but it ties very much into your notion of evolving as opposed to stasis right and the idea Mm. that if you're static then you're basically dead
1: (laughs) I love that I mean I do yeah and I think this is where the, the interest in movement and then, you, you know, when you're interested in movement, you often are interested in what your, you know, your, your, your own biology, you know, how, how is this all happening? How can I keep it happening? Um, and that's, that's really led me to also being quite interested in, I mean, I don't, I, I would call it pop <laughs> neuroscience or very heavily translating, translated yeah. neuroscience. Um, but I'm very, um, yeah, I'm really curious about, and, and also, you know, just, just biology, just basic, you know, understanding, understandings of the connection between our digestive system and our brains and, um, you know, movement of course, and as, you know, affecting all of those, you know, the, the, all the processes in the body and, um, and also I'm very curious about meditation and mindfulness and these, some, you know, of the more say secular approaches to, you know, meditation and mindfulness and, and some of the more ancient practices. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much interested in all of that and, and the effect uh, that it has on my work and And then, and just in me and in my relationships.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Changes everything. I have a committed meditation practice and I've been trying to get my son to do it. You know, since he's little, I would, you know, take his, him and his friends when I was in charge of taking them for a, you know, sports weekend, a hockey weekend. And, and I would kind of take them through a meditation even though they didn't realize that was what it was and you know they would play better or and now he has his own practice that he's you know it's still new but it's really interesting to see how that happens and and I would say that you know my personal interest has kind of evolved this year through quarantine and being really separate from other people from sort of that biological interest that you're talking about to or interest in biology to sort of like an interest in chemistry. And I've been really interested Mm. in like amino acids and um, different delivery systems of not just vitamins and minerals, but these other compounds and and how they affect health and wellness. So there's lots of stuff to think about.
1: I love hearing that your son is still interested (laughs) in meditation after. I mean, you must've been, I'm very sneaky, with my um, daughter about showing, you know, how I incorporated into things. I don't say anything about really meditation um, because then she'll, she's, you know, she's four now, so it will become something she doesn't want to do. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm, I'm yeah. very happy to hear that he. Yes, I think your clandestine ap- approach of just taking them through something and not naming it, or yeah, I think it helped
0: his you know his
1: own practice form
0: I think when people are in moments of distress however that's defined you know when it's emotional or psychic or it can be physical too there there are different ways to suggest self-soothing and some are more positive and some are more negative I think over the long term and mm-hmm. I think this is a very positive one, particularly as you're saying without naming it, that can be a resource um, for ourselves and for those we love.
1: Yeah. And I think that that for me right now, that resource is like, it's invaluable and it's, and it, it's, it's actually critical. I really want to, of course, I want to make things for the rest of my life and I would like to, have a long career. And these, these, are, these are some of the questions that I'm asking right now, you know, because this, you know, where I am in my career, where I'm able to support myself from, and my family through my through my work directly, you know, it's the, in the last couple of years, it's the first time I'm not, you know, working three or four different teaching jobs and design jobs, <laughs> you know, like that, which is totally normal as an artist. And I I'd, I'd really like to able to, to focus on my work for a long time. And I think, you know, those pressures of, of creating a career, I mean, a practice can, you know, a practice can be there forever, of course, but a career is something else. So this is, this is actually where I'm finding the most valuable thing to, to trying to, yeah, to, to find the answers to the questions around career and to not be too anxious about it is through being with myself, (laughs) being near, bringing myself back into myself and um, connecting with my work and connecting with the, the larger sort of motivation to make things, you know, the central, just really coming back to, okay, well, if, If I want a long career, maybe one of the main things that I need to do is just make sure that I'm always making my work from from this very basic and true space. Hmm. So nice.
0: I hope we can all know what that basic and true space is for each of us, for ourselves. So good. Hmm. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me. It sounds like the day is kind of starting where you are and it's definitely ending where I am.
1: <laughs> That's exactly exactly right. Um, yeah, there's a lot of beeping happening on the road.
0: Yeah, but it's, it's great. I mean, I hope our conversation today takes you into your day with some things to think about. It's certainly taking me it will take me into my, my rest for the evening, my sleep, with lots of things to think about as I fall asleep.
1: You know, I just want to say thanks so much, really, uh, for such a, I mean, lovely comes to, to word, but just a, a really um, thoughtful and warm space, you know, to talk in that's, that's really it. It's just really, as I've really enjoyed uh, talking with you. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. I, yeah. yeah. Thank you for saying yes. And I was at dinner with my kids
0: a few hours ago. I said, I'm, you know, recording a podcast at, at 10 tonight. And they're like, what? <laughs> 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 and I said, yeah, I know. But you know, it's, it's the morning and the artist is in South Africa. And I said, what an incredible privilege to be able to spend some time just connecting with someone uh, and to have a conversation. So it's, it's a real privilege. Conversations About Art is part of HiZ.art. This episode was produced by Simonilla. Our theme music was composed by Eric McDougall. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review us on whichever platform you listened as it helps us further our goal of connecting all to art. We will be back again every Tuesday with new episodes. Thanks so much for listening.